0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وكفى الصلاة والسلام على المصطفى أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وتلك الأيام ذاولها بين الناس وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بعست ليتمم مكارم الأخلاق وقيل حول النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه يصوم شهر شعبان حتى إذا قيل أنه يصوم كله my respected friends yes, 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 yes. alhamdulillah with whatever is happening in the world around us and today it is still necessary for a mu'min, for a believer as affected as they may be and rightfully so to remain focused upon the current time that they are living in during the time of nabi wasalam, battles were fought in ramadan out of ramadan all types of events took place and the kuffar the disbelievers didn't necessarily look at your calendar or their calendar to do whatever they had to do and whilst nabi sallallahu actively participated in quelling their plans and in defending the perimeter of islam he also took a lot of time to advise the believers about what they require personally and spiritually and that went hand in hand like a bird requires two wings to fly Rasulullah وسلم, even in a post-Badr, in a post-Uhud, in a post-Khandaq, all of these were battles that he encountered the disbelievers and the Kuffar, would stop and make them reflect that fine, we have just engaged with them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us whatever he gives us, whether it is martyrs or whether it is worldly victory. But then he would draw their attention to something else, like on one occasion when they were returning and some say this was at the time of Tabuk. But when they were returning from a successful campaign, the Battle of Tabuk, it wasn't a real battle, it was more a reconnaissance exercise of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam wherein they signed some treaties. But when they came back, he tells the Sahaba, Radiallah wanted something which is which is worth mentioning for us. Wherein he tells them that rajana that we have returned from the small jihad and we are going to the big jihad. they were returning back home they weren't headed towards the book they're returning back to Medina. what is he telling them that fine your attention alhamdulillah and your victory is counted in the court of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but that's land that's territory that's dominion that's empire allah ta'ala gives it to whoever he wants to but you yourself what about your personal domain What about you going back and being the best individual possible? What about you respecting the salient features of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that are directed to you at a particular point in time? Your Ramadan, your Shaban, your Shawwal, your Friday, your Jummah, all of that counts for something. You can't remain on the battlefield mentally or physically. It's not possible, but you return and you're a Mujahid here also you're a mujahid in your personal self and if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills and decrees that you go back to the field by all means otherwise remember that we are returning from the small jihad wherein you are exerting your physical self and your energy to the big jihad wherein you wake up for tahajjud wherein you control your eyes wherein you control your tongue wherein all those laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that are directed to you every single day and every single moment applies upon you personally directly and you've got no one else to blame you don't have the yahood you don't have israel you don't have anyone to blame you have nothing but yourself your nafs and shaitan to move on this particular trajectory now that is a big jihad because you got no one to blame besides yourself so rasulullah directed them their attention towards it and we are moving towards a period in the muslim year the muslim calendar that alhamdulillah is associated with the personal cleansing and the personal elevation of a believer. We are already in the month of Shaban. Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam upon even Rajab would now recite this dua that Allahumma Barik lana fi Rajab wa Sha'ban wa Balligna Ramadan and then as the days would now come closer it would be reported amongst the Sahaba radhiallahu anhum that they would say that Allahumma sallimni me Ramadan that will Allah keep me safe and sound for the, for the month of Ramadan wa Sallim Ramadan ali and keep the month of Ramadan safe and sound and full of ease for me when it arrives biiznillah, with the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we are on the cusp of another very important milestone on the Muslim calendar a few days and weeks away from the month of Ramadan and that is misfu shaban the 15th night of shaban so if you are in your age 50 or 60 it's very likely but you know what, you've already heard 40 years of bayans, that's of course if you were present inside the masjid and not somewhere else, but very likely, assuming you were where you're supposed to be, you you, you heard maybe another 35-40 years of shaban bayan and you know what you're supposed to do and what vicar you're supposed to make and who are those people who are discounted in the month of shaban that they are not forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I suppose if you are around, if Allah ta'ala gives us life this Sunday and you are waiting you supposed to be remember this is an important clause also if you're not where you're supposed to be if the patient is not sitting in the doctor's chair he's not in the doctor's office and he expects any treatment now he's not going to get any treatment because up until now there is no way of administering medicine online you may hear the bayan but presence in the masjid there is no such a thing as an online presence in the masjid for a male for a man it's the objective is not the talk, the objective is your presence. But nonetheless, whatever the case may be, you yourself know yourself best, you will hear a whole list of people with regards to those who may be excluded during this misfu Shaban, from the maghfira, from the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We'll come to that in a short while. Regarding the misfu Shaban and the month of Shaban itself, the month of Shaban in its own right, before we move on to the discussion of the middle of the month, the 15th, the month of Shaban in its own right, the Sahaba radiallahu wasana, would say that Rasulullah would observe this month in such a way that it seemed that he was going to fast the entire month. And then all of a sudden he would stop for a couple of days and he would resume once again. The purpose of that resumption was to show the people it's not obligatory, it's not farḍ. Like how once in a while Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam would omit certain things so that people know that this is not an obligatory practice, but it's good that you go ahead and you do it. Hence, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam had his reasons for omitting a day or two. But the broader message is that the whole month of Shaban is about fasting. Now, one is the merit and the virtue of fasting. But there is also a physical dimension to the fasting of Nabi in that it prepares an individual for the very first day and eve of the month of Ramadan. If a person is not used to a particular routine, eating at 4.30 in the morning, Staying away from certain habits that they may have been accustomed to from the time of their teenage years. Ramadan's first week is not an absolutely easy week for them. It's not an impossible week. But ask the people who are around them. Ask the people who are around them. You know what? It seems that about 5 o'clock, when he returns back from home, this doesn't of course apply to everybody, some people, but everybody else seems to be walking on eggshells until the azan goes and until the first kajur and until he's, he's able to indulge himself. And thereafter, they're no longer walking on eggshells anymore, right up until the wakt in the time of tajud, and things seems to simmer down like a downscale going this way over here. Alhamdulillah, it doesn't apply to most of us here. It may apply to somebody. There's a reality behind it, an obvious reality behind it, that the human being gets used and used to and accustomed to certain things. It's for this reason that Rasulullah صلى الله عليه spoke about travel. That look at travel, kit min al adab is a portion of punishment. He's talking about journeying, travel in general it's a portion of punishment why it stops one of you he's sleeping he's drinking he's eating and as a result of the disruption of the whole cycle you're not getting what you used to 36 48 hours sometimes you're in limbo between here and there before you finally find a proper bed for yourself obviously nobody is going to be in the right mood because you have now disrupted a pattern so too when the first month of ramadan comes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't necessarily put an on and an off switch in front of everybody. There is a physical dimension to fasting in the month of Sha'ban is that it prepares that person for the very first eve and day of Ramadan instead of taking five to seven days to get used to the entire routine. By that time, 96, 122 good hours of a month have already passed by Would you sitting with a headache would you sitting with a disrupted routine and you couldn't do exactly what you wanted to do any runner any cycler will tell you that. you know what I don't just jump in the race like that in a competition like that it was months and years of a build-up before we came to where we were although one can't equate that with the month of Shaban and Ramadan think of it in a physical dimension the wisdom of our Nabi wasalam, by showing the ummah start early you it's not your fault it's not your obligation but you yourself would have physically spiritually and of course programmatically prepared yourself for the arriving of the first day so from the first moment you are able to alhamdulillah receive the month in the best possible way and enjoy those opening days and it becomes a reality for every one of us that's shaban in its own right coming to the Nisfu Shaban, the middle of shaban on one occasion in Madinatul Munawwara, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam came to the house of our mother Aisha radiAllahu anha. And he went to sleep for a while. He rested for a while. Then in the middle of the night he gets up. And he heads towards the Baki Qabrastan, Jannatul Baqi. In fact, visiting the Baqi Qabrastan is not simply only associated with the 15th Shaban. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam very often would visit the Qabrastan in the early hours of the morning. And of course, it may not be practical in the circumstances and where we are living in our part of the world. But in fact, if a person finds themselves in an area where it's relatively safer, etc., it is considered desirable that should you want to visit the maqbara, the qabrasthan, the early hours of the morning, coupled with your tahajud, coupled with your istighfar, because there is no better place to take a lesson of the akhirah of the hereafter and to soften the heart than the qabrasthan. Unfortunately, people don't observe it. Woe unto people who don't take a lesson from mouth and from death, that even at the edge of the Qabristan, they find an opportunity to tell jokes. Even in the Sufuf, as the Sufuf are getting ready to stand in front of a person who is hale and healthy one hour ago and is now here in this particular position, you have an opportunity to tell jokes and even to smile. Granted, of course, you may make salam to a person, but that's not the place even for petty conversation. That's not the place for even how the family are doing because that is a place of Ibrah of lesson. Even when the Janazah of a Yahudi came past the in Nabubi, Rasulullah stands up. So they tell him they a messenger of Allah. That's a yahudi Janazah that's going. Rasulullah said, look at his words. I'll know to that mouth in its own right is supposed to create anxiety inside you. Not anxiety to a point that you can't function. Anxiety to a point that you become concerned about your own passing. No matter whose passing it is. So here is the lesson of the master sallallahu alayhi wa which we must correct our ways and observe that this is how a person is supposed to behave when the topic and the lesson and the event of mouth and passing takes, away, takes place. That's why Rasulullah says mentions about washing the janazah, following the janazah salah, attending right to the end. Granted, there may be people who have got to go back to work or not, but if it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the etiquette is that if you hear of, jan- of a janazah, you make yourself available. It's not the job of one particular committee. They are, alhamdulillah, volunteers. Allah Taala reward them. Other than that, it's everybody's responsibility to be there, to follow the janazah, to lower the janaza in the qabal, to remain there until dua. Who's, it's everybody's responsibility because it's a personal lesson in its own right. Right Coming back to our discussion So he went to the maqbara. Aisha radiya Allah senses That Rasulullah is not there She follows him And as he's coming to the end of his dua She hastens back home Because she doesn't want to see him Or you know, him turn around and see her You know following him comes to the bed and sees that Aisha is breathing heavy catches up you know she must have followed me she must have sensed that I'm not here so as a result let me ask her yeah Aish do you think that Allah and his messenger deceived you that I maybe went to one of my other wives during the course of the night and left you all alone Aisha, no I never think in that way like how a wife would normally reply oh I know you went for milk and I know you went outside I know where you went here meanwhile Whatever was the reason was the reason. Or oh, I shall listen here that Allah and his messenger have never deceived you, but tonight is a special night. Let me explain myself. Tonight is a special night. Tonight Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala frees more souls from the fire of Jahannam amongst the believers than there is hair on the back of the goats of the Bani Kalb, a tribe that used to live in Arabia at that time, were noted, you know, for their flocks and for their for their sheep more hair on the backs of their goats Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will free more people from fire the fire of Jahannam tonight but then Rasulullah sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, of course after engaging in salah for the night and making a dua that um Allahumma Audu bika minka that O Allah well, I seek protection protection from you. Waudu bi ruba min sachatik and I seek protection from your riba and your pleasure from your anger. Wa'udhu bika minka and I seek protection with you from you from you. La uhsi thana'an alaika kama athwaita ala nafsi ala Alla So I cannot praise upon you like how you have praised upon yourself. The three and a half line dua which is noted for this month or rather this 15th of shaban sallallahu alaihi excessively recited it in his tahajjud that night then tells aisha radiallahu anham allah ta'ala forgives whoever seeks his forgiveness on this night with the exception of a few people I'm not going to go through the entire list. We'll leave that, inshallah, for your participation on Sunday evening to go through that entire list wherever you are. But there are a number of noteworthy unfortunate people on that list that where Rasulullah sallallahu wa says, Allah subhanahu wa taala does not forgive the habitual alcoholic. In other words, the drunkard. Now, we have heard many Juma Bayans over our lifetime. No, I'm not just talking about 15th of Shaban, but if one has to say, what, 50, 52, obviously you have to be in the right place to hear the bayan at the the, the onset. But assuming you live for the last 30 years or so, good number of hundreds of bayans, very seldom one devoted exclusively to the discussion of alcohol and narcotics inside us, our community why because it remains that one thing muslims no man the muslim in a bottle don't go together i don't know anybody i don't do it etc so therefore there is no muslim drunkard and no muslim narcotic uh, you know whatever the case may be that is a false reality because they are And as soon as the ummah owns up and says that there are many people with the issue and many people with the problem and you have to deal with it head on from top to bottom, then the ummah will start the recovery process but it is a reality. And why did Rasulullah come down so hard on alcohol? Fine you never have those type of narcotics in his time but obviously those narcotics do the same job as a you know as wine or or, or the conventional uh, you know drinks etc so therefore it falls in the same order because this particular product has the potential to destroy the taker and the seller both of them who does it destroy not just the taker not just the person who's sitting there craving but the person who is the dealer as well destroys himself and his progeny at the end of the day i'm not going to give you a micro example of one person another person i'm going to give you a macro example Who ruled India for a couple of hundred years? Not the Mughals after them before independence of India, the British. I'm sure we're familiar with this, right? The British were there. The British, when they came, they knew there's a hundred million people here. There's only 50,000 of us. Where in the world are we going to be and stationed in everywhere else? But the British said, we're not going to stop at India. We would also like China next door at the same time. I mean, why stop here? Why stop at Mumbai or Calcutta or Calicut or somewhere when Shanghai and Canton, you know, they're just round the corner over there. So they devised a plan. This is what we will do. We'll grow the opium in India. We'll grow the opium here. We'll sell it to those guys there, the Chinese, because they've already got a culture of opium smoking right which is a narcotic at the end of the day it's a product of heroin or it's a, the, the 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 ingredient base of it uh, we we'll sell it to them and we will rule both these nations one at the same time and therefore, it started a 150 years of rule that destroyed both countries. Now one may ask, how did he destroy the first country? I mean, these are the guys growing it, they're not the guys smoking it. When they saw that these British folks were prepared to pay top dollar for our opium, the guy who was planting wheat, millet, uh, maize, oats, everything that could feed the community, stopped planting it because he says, why am I planting this when these guys are paying? 20, 30 pounds per kilo of this junk over here to send it over where to China at the end of the day. So they immediately stop planting food that would now be the basis of their economy and can keep their own people alive in place of a cash crop. Like how many of the companies are doing today with places like Malawi, whatever, make them plant the tobacco. You can't eat the tobacco. You're supposed to be planting things on the land that you can eat and you can use for the purposes of your survival. This is what they did. And then when the time came for their own population to eat, they are now dependent upon the same people who they are selling the junk to. Oh, we've got grain from somewhere else, from another one of our colonies called South Africa. Here, come and buy it from us. So what you could put in the ground, your own self and buy in your and grow in your own backyard to feed your own village. But because of this opium trade that's why Rasulullah SAW mentioned something interesting and i'll conclude upon this point over here al-khamru juma'ul-itham short hadith is part of a long hadith but it is a a, a paraphrasing of something small wherein the prophet SAW said alcohol is the mother of all of all sins alcohol is the mother of all sins now of course remember he's talking about alcohol because he doesn't have everything else at his time it falls in the same order what is known as the same hukam but nonetheless if one had to replace it with any of the prevalent narcotic of the day it is the mother of all those things why because it will make even a prosperous individual into a beggar into a person who cannot even look after his own self and it is generational very rarely and quite often in fact you find that if a person has got a problem or there's two or three generations down look ahead look two or three people ahead was it prevalent in that community in that society in that person before very likely it was very likely a person inshallah not from our community who proved and came and i said that i was a drunkard at age 17 very likely the mother might have put it at the end of the dummy and gave it to the baby to keep quiet and to stop bothering her that's exactly the issue issue and the concern and therefore Rasulullah warns his ummah at the time that they are coming out of ignorance that don't go back to it so this is one category amongst the six seven others that the Prophet spoke about in the business of shaban That take this thing here seriously and ensure that a person remains clean from it and if it is detected even in your own son or your own grandson don't look the other way don't become an ostrich don't become an ostrich I'll dig a hole put my head inside here nothing happened it's the neighbors problem they're all drunkards next door uh, It's you know down the road you know the the the, the community living next to it, they're only drunkards over there we we fine we okay over here it does not work in that particular way it is something that a muslim hits head on and re- realizes that this year affects the very imam of a person although categorized as a major sin but where it goes to, it's referred to as a gateway for disbelief, a gateway for hedonism, a gateway for behavior. In the words of our Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Al-Khamru itham, that alcohol is the mother of all evils and vice. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq. Ameen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our 15th of Shaban, may it may be a means of our forgiveness, of our preparation for the month of Ramadan. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy upon the mujahideen in Palestine, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring relief to them quickly. Ameen.